There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Ephesians chapter number two, let's stand and we'll read verse one. We've been doing a series about the but gods of the Bible. And we've been talking about where God interrupts. He interrupts in a lot of different circumstances. And, and we've been looking all through the scriptures about how that God interrupts our lives. Well, uh, this morning has brought us to Ephesians chapter 2 and, and verse 1. And our but God will be in verse 4. But let's start reading in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, thank God for where He interrupts. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace He is saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You can be seated. But God, who is rich in mercy, I'm going to call this where God interrupts our wrath. Now, I'm not talking about the wrath that you pour on people yourself by your anger. I'm talking about the wrath that was intended by God for us. That wrath he interrupts by his mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name above every name. God, we th- we're thankful for the blood that Jesus shed on that cross, which makes the mercy of God even a possibility. God, you couldn't have mercy on us had it not been for the blood of Jesus Christ making a way for you to shed your mercy and shed your grace upon us. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, we'd all encountered your wrath. But thank you, in the midst of your wrath, you remembered mercy in the cross of Calvary. Now, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take and empower the Word of God and strike at our hearts, reminding us of your mercy, 
Father, I pray for those that may be among us today and may have never experienced the mercy of God or encountered the grace of God. We pray that, that your mercy and your forbearance and long-suffering would be the goodness of God that leadeth them unto repentance. And they put their trust in Jesus today and leave this place born again by the Spirit of God. God, we just pray you'd work among your people. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You see, uh, we're talking about how that God interrupts our wrath. Not our wrath that we would like to put on other people, but the wrath that God, that we so rightfully deserve from God. The wrath which a four-time murderer on the run from the law at Gonzales, Texas deserved in 1910. I'm talking about a specific meeting in Gonzales, Texas back in 1910 in which a man who was on the run from the law murder of four different men sat in in a tent meeting of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham under that tent was preaching on the cities of refuge that, that morning or that day. And while listening to the message, this murderous man was overcome with the love and the mercy of God insomuch that he jumped up in the middle of the service and said, Saved! 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 You know, the, the, there was a man sitting in the audience, Jack Schofield, who was the, uh, who was the, the, the song leader for the, uh, for the event there in that tent meeting. And he went that afternoon and wrote that song, Saved by His power divine, Saved to new life sublime. Life is now sweet and my joy is complete because I'm saved, saved, saved. Because this man had an encounter with the mercy and the grace of God, he could say he was saved. The wrath of God that hung heavy, heavy, heavily over this man's life was interrupted by an outpouring of God's mercy. Listen, according to the counsel of Scripture, every one of us, because of our sin and rebellion against God, are entitled to encounter the full measure of God's wrath. But under, by understanding the three gospel truths that we find in Ephesians chapter number 2, we can exchange annihilation for abundance. We can exchange wrath for redemption. We can exchange destruction for deliverance. I want you to see the mercy of God in this message. The first thing I want you to see about the mercy of God is the requirement of mercy. That doesn't mean that there's some kind of prerequisite that you have to meet in order to have mercy. It means that we all require mercy. Lamentations 3.22 tells us that it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Truth be known, you are alive today and not burning in the smoldering lake of fire simply because God had mercy on your wretched soul. Notice, first of all, in the requirement of mercy, we require it because we are dead, spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 starts out, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. When it came to God and the things of God, our natural state is that of being dead. Just as a physical body, 
uh, feels no pain, has no need, bear, uh, and hears nothing, so it is. The lost sinner outside of Jesus Christ, he is dead to the things of God. When it comes to the things of God, he's like a new calf looking at a gate. I mean, he just, is that the way that phrase goes? Something like that, a, a, a new calf looking at an old gate or something like that. He just don't get it. When, listen, when I was a teenager, I tried time and time again to pull out that Bible, and I'm going to read it in a year. That's what everybody says you ought to do. And I'd read four or five chapters, get bored and close it. Hey, but the truth of the matter is, I didn't get it. I couldn't take it in. I was dead in trespasses and in spirit and sins. Spiritually dead now, physically dead in the future. You see, not only is he dead spiritually right now, he is facing spiritual death. What that means is it's separation from God, exile into eternal torment. That's true death, the second death, as the book of Revelations calls it. You see, we're dead, we're dead spiritually, and then we're like dead men walking. You ever seen the night of the living dead? Or I don't know, I've never seen it. But you hear tell they got these zombies in it and they're like dead people walking around. Remember that, uh, uh, that kid that said, I see dead people? Listen, that's what the lost sinner is. You can see them, but they're dead. They're zombies. They're hollow on the inside. They have not the love of the Lord Jesus. They're as good as dead. They're dead men walking on the way to destruction. You see, they, we need mercy because we're dead. And also, we need mercy because we're disobedient. Look at verse number 2. Wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit, the spirit that now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. The reason for our deadness is because of our disobedience to God's law and God's will. You see, God put Adam in a garden. And God put a tree in the garden and said, Adam, don't touch the tree. Don't eat. Don't partake of the tree. And what did Adam do? He disobeyed. And because of that, Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. All of, every one of us has that disobedient streak that causes us to stiff our, stiffen our neck and say, I'll not go the way God wants me to. I'll not do what God would have me to do. I'll follow my own path. It, until, listen, it's, it's in all them lovely little cute children, those little chubby cheek children, you know as well as I do, there's a disobedient streak that runs through them that eventually, if their lives do not encounter the mercy and grace of God, it'll manifest itself in all kinds of lawlessness and wickedness in our lives. You see, we're, we're, we need mercy because we're dead. We need mercy because we're disobedient. Also, we need mercy because we're defiled or uh, depraved. Look at what it said. Among, among, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. We are depraved. Not only disobey God, but we seek out that which pleases our flesh. Therefore, they will, uh, therefore they are, are, are holy and completely incapable of pleasing God. 
Because we are depraved in our mindset and in our desire to fulfill the lust that Paul is talking about here in verse 3, we are unable to please God in any way. There is no good or merit inside of any of us. You see, uh, you don't you don't have to read very far into the newspapers. You don't have to turn very far into the magazines to find how depraved and how wicked depths of depravity that man can sink. How wicked and vile and estranged from God and destined for God's just and righteous punishment upon sin. You see, we're depraved as well. Let loose, turn loose to our fleshly desires and our fleshly instincts. We are depraved. You see, we, are, we need mercy because we're dead. We need mercy because we're disobedient. We need mercy because we're depraved. Also, we need mercy because we're doomed. The children of wrath, verse number uh, 3 says, the inheritors uh, of the unmitigated, unreserved wrath of Almighty God. By, deed, by, by the deed the, of these children's disobedience, by the nature of their wrath. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Condemned right now. Not only in the day of judgment, right now they're condemned and marked for certain death. He that believes uh, ju uh, judgment is passed on, uh, judgment is passed, only mercy stays the execution that is to come. What an awful condition to be in. Yet verse number three, what is it saying? We all had our conversation. You didn't think you were any different, did you? You didn't think because you sometimes haunt a church house that this doesn't apply to you. You're just as depraved. You're just as capable of the depths of wickedness in our land today as the, as the, the deepest, darkest uh, prisoner in the, in the strongest high security prison in this nation. You're just as depraved, just as defiled as they but thank God for His mercy and grace that interrupts and changes the direction of our, of our destiny. Thank God for, but God, but God who is rich in mercy. You see, we see the requirement of mercy, but I want you to see the release of mercy. The release, you see, in verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. You see, things could not be darker for each and every one of us sitting here today at this point. Dead, disobedient, depraved, doomed. But I like what the old, what the, I like the quote I read in preparing for this message says, God's wrath comes by measure, but His mercy comes without measure. Amen. <laughs> His wrath may be an eternity's worth of wrath, but thank God His mercy. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. God's mercy exceeds all of His righteous indignation. You see, the release of mercy, first of all, an abundant release. Look at what it said in verse 4. But God who is rich... In mercy. Men claim to be rich. They claim to be rich in worldly possessions. 
They claim to be rich in monetary possessions. They claim to be rich in their status in society. What is God rich in? Well, if Romans 2, 4 said there is the riches of His goodness. Ephesians 1.18 says He has riches in glory. Ephesians 1.7 says He has the riches of His grace. But the most important of His riches is the abundant riches of His mercy. His mercy is to withhold, mercy is to withhold something that we deserve. Mercy is to hold back the judgment that we deserve. If I show you mercy, then I don't give you the peace of my mind that uh, that I don't I can't really spare. Amen. Uh, to have mercy is just to keep my mouth shut. To have mercy is just to hold back what should rightfully be said. Here, God is having mercy. Every rank and sort of depraved and defiled sinner is actually a partaker of God's mercy. Do you realize that? That the way they move and the way they live and the, about, the roundabouts that they take in their daily life, they're partakers of God's mercy. Because if God was not merciful, if God, if God were not long-suffering and forbearing, the flood tide of God's wrath would have swept them out years ago, decades ago. But because His mercy is superabounding, because His mercy is ever, ever increasing and ever bestowed upon mankind, it's one of those things that they call it common grace. That God withholds His wrath to give time for sinners to come unto salvation. The blasphemer, the liar, the murderer, the fornicator, all experience the mercy of God. The abundant release of God's mercy. But not only the abundant release, but also the affectionate release. Look at what he said. But God who is rich in mercy for or because of his great love wherewith he loved us. Where does this mercy for sinful man come from? It comes from the love of God. We have no claim on His mercy. We have nothing that, would, that, would, that we could barter with when it comes to the mercy of God. and to, But no stake in His grace, so to speak. Yet God loved us and sent His Son to die for us and to pay our sin penalty. Why such love? I mean, listen, it seems like that'll be the thought of eternity. That'll be the thought of the ages. Why such love? The question of all questions. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 says, The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all. But because the Lord loved you, that's the end. Because God loved us. John Trapton commenting on this. Listen to what he said. He said God loved them because He loved them. And he chose them of his love and then loved them of his choice. Now that's circular thinking, but that's about as good as we can do. God chose you and loved you. You see, this mercy comes from the wellspring of his ever-abounding love. The, the abundant release, the affectionate release of his mercy, and then also the animating release of his mercy. Paul actually starts this chapter by saying what? And you hath he quickened. And you get back down uh, to verse 5 and said, Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together. 
this love and this mercy that he bestows upon us quickly translate to not only does he hold back what we deserve, which is mercy, but it translates in grace, which he gives that which we don't deserve. And grace and the mercy of God, and that is what quickens us, makes us alive in Jesus Christ. Christ. We are spiritually dead, but by the Word of God and the empowerment of the Spirit of God, we're made alive. Remember Jesus, during His ministry, raised three people from the dead. Three people. Jerry sung about one of them tonight, about how that Lazarus was raised. The daughter, uh, the, uh, the daughter of Na- uh, the daughter of Jairus, the widow of Nain's son. These were raised from the dead. When? Jesus, each and every one of them circumstances, Jesus spoke the Word. The Word was the agent coupled by the power of the Spirit of God. And that's what make them alive. Here the same is true with us spiritually. The, uh, the same is true with us. The Word of God, the quickening, powerful Word of God by the Spirit of God takes spiritually dead women, men, women, boys and girls and makes them alive in Jesus Christ. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. How? How does he do this? By the Word. The animating Word of God. We, we become part. And then upon this, upon this transaction, upon this quickening in our life, our life is in union with Jesus Christ. Look at what he said in verse 5. Uh, in verse, uh, verse 6. And hath quickened us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Know that phrase? In Christ Jesus. You see, we become part of His body. We become part of Him. Just as your hand is attached to the rest of your body, so the believer, upon belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the regenerating work that happens within us, we become attached to His body. Never to be taken off. And you see, for we are, what is it, Ephesians 5, 30 says, for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. You see, that is the release of mercy in our lives. When we didn't deserve it, He comes along in abundant love and mercy and quickens us by His Spirit, by His Word, and makes us alive in Jesus Christ. Notice also, and finally, we see the requirement of mercy. We see the release of mercy. Then finally, I want you to see the results of mercy. Look at what happens. You see, just like that murderer that was in that 1910 Mordecai Ham meeting, when he encountered the matchless mercy of God, had to jump up. And say, I've been saved, saved, saved. Just like there is a result of his encounter, we find here in our text, there are some results with every member, uh, with every person's encounter with the grace and mercy of God. Notice, first of all, there is a resulting deliverance. He said in verse 5, By grace ye are saved. 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 You know, that's a funny thing about that word saved. Nine times out of ten, when you're witnessing to folks and talking to folks, and you begin to talk about the Lord in any form or fashion, especially in this area. Oh, I've been saved. I've been saved. Oh, I've been saved. And a lot of times you ask them, what have you been saved from? 
And they go, well, I don't know, but I've just been saved. I prayed a prayer. I signed a card. I, I did something. You see, what does it mean to be saved? To be saved. That word means to be delivered from destruction. Clearly, we have, we are, we are, here are, are we, excuse me, clearly here we who are, were inheritors of wrath, inheritors of destruction, who were, who were quickened, uh, who were guilty of violation of God's law, who were cursed under its demands, who were dead, depraved, and doomed to eternal destruction in the fires of hell, are now delivered, snatched out of the jaws of torment, redeemed from certain judgment. Uh, uh, was it uh, in the Old Testament talking about that high priest Joshua? He was a brand plucked from the burning, jerked out of destruction. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be. We are plucked out of the judgment that we so rightfully deserve. For by grace he is saved. God's unmerited favor after he showed us mercy and withheld his wrath. He goes out of his grace, reaches down, quickens us, makes us alive, and plucks us out of the jaws of eternal destruction. No wonder he said, saved, saved, saved. We're saved from the certain doom, doom of eternal torment. You see, that's the resulting deliverance that we see. Not only resulting deliverance, but a resulting display. You know, I'd have been happy if he just saved me from hell, amen, and just set me aside somewhere. <laughs> That'd be good enough for me, you know. i just get me out of hell. That'd be fine. But what is he going to do? Look at verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. You see, he goes on to raise me. He goes on to together me. He goes on to heaven me. He goes on to Jesus me. Amen. He puts me in the body. He's, I'm as good. What this verse is talking about. I'm as good as seated with the Father in heaven. I'm as good as there. My ticket's been punched. You can't take me out of the body. You see, there was a resulting display. Psalm 113, 7 and 8 says, he, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even the princes of his people. Amen. I don't look like much in my quickly shrinking suit, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm a prince when it comes to you ladies can have all your daughters of the king banquets you want, but I'm a prince of the king. I, I, I'm in the family. I'm a, I, we used to sing that song a long time ago at Temple Baptist Church, and it used to go, we a trophy of grace. Oh, J.C. JC Groves would stand up and sing that song, Trophy of Grace. He'd sing, I'm a trophy of grace, a masterpiece of mercy. Nothing I've done could deserve his great love. That's what Paul's saying here. I'm a trophy. I like what Dr. Larry Brown, he come to our church, preached a memorable message several years ago, talking about being a trophy and how that we were in, a, we were in the hand of the devil a long time. We were a trophy of the devil. And then all of a sudden one day, but God in his mercy 
plucked us out of his hand and put us in his hand. And now we are a trophy before all the world of what God can do in a sinner. Matter of fact, when I'm down at the jail, a lot of times I'll pray a prayer and I'll say, you know, all these guys that want to get out of jail, want to get probation, want to get out of this place, and they'll say their, their best prayer request. Man, I just want out of here. Amen. That's what they'll say. And I'll, I'll begin to pray and I'll say, God, I pray that each and every one of these men that is ready and prepared to get outside of this place, that you'd let them out, to let them live a life that would glorify God. They've glorified themselves long enough, but I pray that they go out and be a trophy of what God's mercy and grace can do in life. You know, that's the same disposition that we all ought to have. One that we are a trophy. Paul says we are ambassadors in Christ. We're an ambassador to this world. A trophy, a display of His grace and His mercy. And that in the ages to come, he talked about in the ages to come there in verse 7. That throughout all of eternity, throughout all the ends of the ages, we are saved by grace so that the whole world can be awestruck. And how benevolent, how merciful God really is. Oh, it's not about the trophy. It's not about, it's not about the one being raised up. It's the one who has the power to raise them up. That's what it's all about. It's the one that has the amazing ability to clean such a rotten, vile, dead sinner and make them a child of God, a resulting display, and then finally, a resulting duty. Look at verse, look at verse 8. Now, 8 and 9. Now, I'm telling you what. If you wanted to stay to 2 o'clock, I could preach 8 and 9. But we're not going to do it. I, I, I just wanna, I'm just going to read it. And then if you'll give me a good amen, it'll save us getting out of here uh, before two. Amen. Look at what it says. For by grace he is saved through faith. Amen. For by grace he is saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Such an amazing outpouring of grace and mercy deserves our response of allegiance and diligence. Did you hear what I said? The proper response to such love and such mercy that we did not deserve deserves our allegiance and our diligence. We're not saved by working, but we are saved unto our working. That's what he said. Verse 8 and 9 are clear. We're not saved by our works. By grace through faith we're saved, but we're not saved to, uh, to imprint a church pew. We're not saved just to sit. Ephesians 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify you for your works, but give glory and honor to God. So that's, what, that's what we're doing by being trophies of grace, that we bring honor and glory to God. Psalm 85, 15 in closing, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and grace 
and long suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee, who pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He delights in it. The thrill of his heart is to give mercy upon those that will receive it. His del the delight of his heart is to give mercy. Oh, listen. You think back. Before you were sitting on a church pew, before you were carrying a Bible, you think back to your pre-conversion days and experience. Me and Carrie were talking about Brother Johnny Campbell we had back in March come in. And uh, you know how Brother Johnny did. He gave his testimony first, then he went into his message. And, you know, Brother Johnny, he'd been in the ministry probably about 40 years. I, I don't know how long he's been in the ministry. But Johnny Campbell sat here and gave his personal testimony for us and cried like a baby. Wept hot tears of praise and thanksgiving unto God. Me and Carrie around the table the other night, and I said, boy, wasn't that good? That was a great day. Brother Johnny, I'm so glad he came in. She said, it says something about somebody that they can, after all these years of being in the ministry, and David, you know as well as I do, the ministry's got a lot of pains, a lot of hurts, and a lot of chances for a lot of people to get bitter and to get hurt and to get, and to get uh, crossways with the people of God and, and cold and callous to what God's done in our life. It says a lot about a man that can keep it and still have his tears after all these years. Amen. I immediately ran to that verse where Jesus uh, said of that woman that gave the alabaster box to whom much is forgiven. Much is to be received, or much, uh, I forget that passage of Scripture here exactly. But to whom is forgiven much, much will be given. Oh, and listen, that ought to be the case with everyone else. You run in your mind back to where you were when God found you. Maybe you're here lost today. Maybe you don't know the Lord. You've never been genuinely born again. Listen, I tell you, there's hope. But God, but God is rich in mercy. He delights. Nothing would make Him happier than to give you mercy. Don't get that mixed up with Him being merciful to you. You live your life, do your own thing, die, and stand before Him, and He'll give you mercy then. It's too late. It's judgment time then. You passed on the day of grace. You passed on the mercy of God. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when God delighteth in mercy. And never forget that song we used to sing at Temple. Mercy. Mercy. God's loving mercy both for me and for you. Oh, if we had gotten justice, we'd surely be lost. But we found mercy, and when we knelt at the cross, when did you find mercy? When did you have an encounter with the richness of God's mercy? Oh, this past Friday, March the 20th, 1994, my 15-year anniversary of knowing the Lord Jesus as my Savior, Oh, I tell you what, you wouldn't even recognize me then. Long-haired, shaggy-looking thing. Uh, uh, buddy, I tell you what, I was as cocky as they come. Arrogant. Couldn't, people hardly couldn't stand to be around me. I was on my way to hell on a bobslide of lasciviousness. I'd run headlong against everything I knew from the Word of God. Raised in church all my life. If anything characterized my life, it was a life of disobedience. Rebellion against God. 
Arrived there March the 20th, 1994, driving down I-75. God's mercy became super abounding and reached toward me. And I fell headlong at the foot of an old rugged cross and put my trust in Jesus. And I've known His grace ever since. I'm not saying I've always been perfect. Oh, but He's a good Savior. And He's kept me out and thrown me away. But He's kept me close to Himself. He's called me back plenty of time, forgiven a lot of sin since then. But I've never been the same. I've never been dead again. I've never been depraved again. I've never been doomed since that day. Oh, what mercy. God gives us. Let's stand as they come with a song of invitation. I don't know your condition in this room. Most of the usuals are here. I, I, I know most everybody here. But listen, I'm easy to fool. I believe anybody. Amen. That's one thing my sister always took advantage of. I was always gullible. I believe anything. She, I believe anything anybody tells me. You look like a Christian, man. I tell you, I believe you. You speak like a Christian. Oh, I, I believe you. They in. But listen. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day when the mercy of God will run short. You take your last breath and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. Your day of mercy is over. Your day of grace is over. And you'll stand before Almighty God, give an account of your life, and you'll say, apart from me, I never knew you. And the flood tide of God's wrath that you deserved a whole lifetime ago will be poured out on you through all of eternity. You put your trust in Jesus. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.